Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Bridge Bank. Today is Friday, September 18th. Movie theater popcorn sales are way down, microwave popcorn sales are way up, and we're focused on the fate of TikTok. President Trump now has until Sunday to decide whether or not to ban TikTok or allow it to keep operating under a tech partnership with Oracle. Trump did hold a press conference this afternoon where we were expecting a decision, but we didn't get one. Hanging in the balance here are hundreds of U.S. jobs and the social media diet of around 100 million Americans, plus the livelihoods of so-called TikTok creators. So what happens next? Well, first, expect TikTok to ask for an emergency restraining order, probably today because courts aren't open on the weekend. If TikTok loses, we learned this morning from the Commerce Department that there will be no new downloads of TikTok allowed in the U.S. beginning Sunday, with the service to stop altogether on November 12th, which, if you've got a calendar, is about a week and a half after the election. In the interim, TikTok would not be allowed to push forward any software updates something that would stop it from potentially introducing malicious code, but also something that would stop it from fixing security holes. It's also possible, by the way, that ByteDance and Beijing could reconsider their decision to stop negotiating an outright sale of TikTok, either to Oracle or Microsoft or someone else, but that doesn't seem likely. While we wait, we wanted to speak with New York Times tech reporter Taylor Lorenz about how this political saga has played inside of TikTok's vibrant user and creator community. That conversation, which we taped shortly before Trump's presser in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Taylor Lorenz, tech reporter at The New York Times. Taylor, from your perspective, how aware is kind of the average TikTok user, at least the average active TikTok user of this back and forth with Trump and the possibility the app could be banned this weekend? The awareness is pretty high, especially among average teenagers, just because this saga has been going on so long. And they've seen a lot of their favorite creators talk about this and encourage their fans to follow them elsewhere on other platforms. That said, I was on TikTok all morning and I didn't really see anyone discussing this Sunday's ban publicly yet. Is part of that because a lot of users just assume it won't actually happen, that it's Trump bluster? Or is it there's a feeling we're tech savvy, we can figure out VPNs, you can ban it, we'll get around it? I have seen a lot of VPN tutorials, and then I've seen a lot of people duetting those saying why those won't work or, you know, that didn't happen in India or something. India famously banned TikTok earlier. I think that a lot of people still are in a sort of a disbelief where they do think it's not going to happen, but TikTokers themselves are taking it very seriously. Like the TikTok influencers, people that have built businesses on this platform. And you said they've been telling their followers to, you know, follow them elsewhere in case there is no TikTok. From your perspective, those influencers, would they prefer to stay on TikTok or are they truly ambivalent towards which platform they're on? They absolutely prefer to stay on TikTok. A lot of them have found fame completely through TikTok. And so it's very hard to port that audience over to other platforms that prioritize different types of content. There is no platform that is remotely similar to TikTok. There's a lot of apps that are trying to sell themselves as TikTok competitors, but they're not even close. I'm trying to think back, like when Vine basically disappeared, were there people who were big Vine influencers who really could not transfer that over somewhere else? Absolutely. We lost a whole generation of creators. Basically, like the top 5% of Viners saw the writing on the wall 
they all ported over to YouTube and ended up becoming the really big YouTubers in 2016, 2017. Those are the Jake Paul, Logan Paul, Lele Pons. But then you had an entire group of creators that basically lost their livelihood. And, you know, we lost out. At that time, the creator industry wasn't as robust. So, you know, when Vine shut down, it was a big deal. And you had this whole generation of people essentially lose access to their primary way of getting in touch with their audience. But it wasn't such a big thing. I feel like it hadn't scaled at the same point. There weren't as many Vine creators as there are TikTok creators. And when you think about the entertainment industry, it's been completely reoriented around TikTok, especially when it comes to sort of music or anything to do with youth entertainment. You mentioned how those kind of rivals or wannabe rivals really haven't pulled it off yet. So let me ask you just quickly about two of them. One is Reels. And the reason I ask you about Reels, which is Instagram's, is because there is reporting in your paper, actually, that Kevin Systrom, the founder and former CEO of Instagram, might be in talks to become the CEO at TikTok. I saw that and I honestly thought it was a parody. And then I realized that it was actually in our story. I think it's interesting that they're talking to him. He famously, you know, had big tensions with Zuckerberg. That's part of the reason that he left is that he felt like Zuckerberg was trying to exert too much control over Instagram and he had other visions. So in that sense, I think he might be a very worthy candidate. You know, he knows Zuckerberg better than anyone he's worked with him and he can kind of position himself against Facebook, sort of encroaching. Should he scare Oracle at all in the sense of Oracle and Walmart who do have these kind of fairly big money ambitions ultimately for TikTok? Because part of the tension between Systrom and Zuckerberg was Systrom did not want to pursue monetization nearly at the same scale that Zuckerberg did. Yeah. And I don't imagine he'll actually become CEO. The monetization thing is interesting. My colleague, Mike Isaac, and I recently profiled Vanessa Papas who is the interim CEO. And I mean, I cannot understand why they wouldn't just make her CEO. She really understands monetization. She built, she helped sort of pioneer the monetization strategy at YouTube for creators and worked very closely with creators there. So I think that in order to keep people on a platform, as Vine learned, you need to help them make money. And that's going to be increasingly important for TikTok creators. The other rival is Triller based out of Los Angeles. And I know there are all sorts of questions about how many users Triller actually has compared to how many users Triller says they have. But from a product perspective, since some of these TikTok influencers have at least started over there, expanded over there, how does it compare? They're going over there because Triller's paying them a lot of money. It does not compare. I mean, the app is so broken. I tried to see Charlie D'Amelio. I mean, to call it a TikTok competitor is just, it's very generous to Triller. It's a short form video app that's kind of similar to TikTok in the fact that it's a video app, but it is broken. It is rife with conspiracy theories. A lot of the QAnon people, when TikTok banned QAnon hashtags and stuff, have gone over to Triller, which doesn't seem to moderate any of that stuff. There's no engagement there. There's no people there. I mean, they claim these numbers that I just, you know, I haven't seen that really borne out. There's no organic audience. Outside of being kind of probably the preeminent reporter covering what's happening inside TikTok culture, you're also a much broader tech reporter. When you hear, when you've seen kind of the official national security concerns that have at least been stated by CFIUS and Trump administration about TikTok, do you believe that they are legitimate? Not that they believe them, but that they exist. No, I mean, I think this is a very like politically motivated thing. Obviously, there's so many concerns with China, but I think it's being completely overblown and we haven't seen no evidence of a lot of the stuff that Trump is claiming. I mean, I saw a security person do a thread this morning about sort of how Trump has kind of like misworded parts of this stuff saying that TikTok collects your browser history. Really, just like any app, it collects, you know, what you search inside of TikTok or whatever. So there's just a lot of nuances like that that I think the Trump administration is 
overblowing and stoking fears on. But we need comprehensive data privacy reform in the U.S. That's undeniable. I think all of these apps need a second look. My colleague Kevin Roos wrote a good thing about how rather than ban TikTok, you should make an example of it. And we should be looking critically about the data that all of these social apps collect. Final question for you. We're going to air this, obviously, after there's a Trump announcement one way or the other. But were TikTok to be banned, do you move to London? (laughs) Or at least Canada. I guess it's closer. One thing about covering this space, and I've written about this world for about 10 years, is platforms come and go. I would not want to leave because it would be the biggest story of my career to have all of these creators suddenly overnight basically lose access to their livelihood. I mean, that is a story... And that has such wide-reaching impact on the entertainment industry that I would want to be here for it. (laughs) Taylor Lorenz of New York Times, who you can follow on Twitter, at Taylor Lorenz. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. What we're watching is the Business Roundtable, which last year made lots of headlines for announcing that its members would no longer view stockholders as their only stakeholders. Instead, these big-name companies like Walmart and J.P. Morgan would also take into account what's best for employees, customers, and the local communities. But today, Senator Elizabeth Warren sent a letter to the Business Roundtable, accusing it of not living up to those promises. Specifically, she took issue with the Roundtable lobbying for what she called, quote, narrow short-term interests, end quote, like liability protection should employees contract COVID-19 while at work and opposing expanded unemployment benefits. The roundtable, not surprisingly, says it disagrees with Warren's assessment and will be reaching out to her. Today, we're also watching for the next federal stimulus bill. Okay, not really. I mean, we should be, but we're not. At this point, it doesn't look like that sort of deal is going to come before the election. And finally today, two new storms have formed in the Atlantic. One is called Wilfred, and one is called Alpha. Now, Wilfred, as a storm name, makes sense. It's the year's 23rd named storm, and each year the World Meteorological Organization goes down an alphabetical list. But Alpha? Well, what that means is that the WMO has run out of names and now is moving on to Greek letters for only the second time in its history. The first time, 2005, which was the storm season that included Hurricane Katrina. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven. Today is National Hug Your Boss Day, but that's a bad idea for both harassment reasons and COVID. So instead, tomorrow, have a great national Talk Like a Pirate Day. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios Recap.